Hey there, thanks for joining us. This podcast is put out into the world by Living Water Community Church, located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I'm Pastor Clark Cothern. If you'd like to know more about Living Water, or if you'd like to drop us a note, or if you've got a question, or if you'd like to have us pray for you, head on over to lw-cc.org. Now, let's join today's podcast in progress. We are arriving at a section of 1 Peter where he seems to be kind of wrapping up what he's been building up to as he's been writing to people who have started to go through some real dark times. And as we think about the darkness that envelops all of us at some point or other, I thought I would start by kind of setting the tone just a little bit. It was interesting, I don't know that you read my mind in picking some of those songs, Melanie, but uh, several of those songs were some of my grandfather's favorites. Uh, he had moved from Flagstaff, Arizona, down to Sedona and built a small little mom-and-pop shop motel so he could recover from an illness that just nearly took his life. But he could see these wonderful red rocks in the sunset every evening, and his life verse became, I lift my eyes up to the hills, from whence cometh my strength. And he was knowing that the God who created all that beauty around him was the one who gave him that strength. And he would quote that psalm every day of his life as he got more and more strong. And God filled him up with the, the kind of goodness that allowed him to have several decades more life and ministry to other people. But I was in Sedona as a child spending the night for the very first time in a house he had just built. It was a house that was out on little Hardcastle's Island. His last name was Hardcastle. <laughs> When you buy an island, you can name it after yourself. And I had never been in that specific house before, and I slept in one room, and I woke up and forgot where I was momentarily. A very strange feeling. It was so disorienting. And I had not really oriented myself by thinking before I went to sleep, okay, if I need to use the restroom, the door is that way. I didn't know that. And it was so dark outside that night that there was not even a sliver of light coming in through a door or a window. And even if there had been, I didn't know which end was up. So I found myself as a young boy in desperate need of a bathroom break in the middle of the night with no ability to find my way there other than literally to carefully feel against the wall. And then I would move carefully over here until I bumped into a bookshelf. And then I would say, okay, well, that's not the door. It took me forever to find the door, but when I finally found what I felt like was a doorway, then I reached down and found the doorknob, and I thought, I'm saved. I can make it to the bathroom now. It is such a disorienting, strange feeling to feel like you're in such darkness. Now, I share that because sometimes emotionally and perhaps even spiritually, we can find ourselves feeling as though we don't know which end is up, and we're really having a hard time orienting true north in our life. That happens to every one of us, and it happens, as we'll see in Simon Peter's admonitions to us in his letter, it happens to Christians. It can happen a lot. And we may have this false sense of, well, but I'm walking with God, so nothing bad could ever happen to me. Why am I so discouraged right now, or why am I depressed, or why am I feeling oppressed? How come I'm struggling with these feelings and I can't break myself out of them? Because if I have faith in God, shouldn't that make everything okay? I mean, if I just 
pray a little harder, if I just read the Bible more, if I just do these things more, maybe I can kind of lift my spirits. But how come I'm finding myself in this deep, dark place for so long? Well, we're going to find out by looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, that times of darkness may actually become a test of our faith in God. And it's a kind of a test that turns out to be one that we can pass, thanks to God. Second, we're going to find out that even in darkness, we can find good reasons to rejoice. And if our darkness comes because of people oppressing us because of our Christian faith, we can really rejoice there because we know we're blessed. There's good reason for why people might cast dispersions upon us or uh, speak badly of us because we know that if we're following Jesus, other people are going to hate us. He promised that to be the case. So we're going to look at these three areas today. The passage, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Let me just read it out loud from the NIV. You can follow along, whatever uh, translation you might have before you there. Peter says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, and he throws in a quote from Proverbs, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? We're going to unpack that one because that one raises some red flags for me when I first look at it. And then finally, in verse 19, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. And I'm praying that God will add His blessing to the reading of that word and that He will make it much more clear to all of us by the end of this time together. First of all, let's look at this. Times of darkness may become a test of our faith in God. 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's saying, expect it. He said that a number of times through his letter so far. I'm starting to feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record because it's like, don't be surprised, folks. These things are going to happen to you, so just expect it and prepare for it. Uh, Joy has a first cousin named Lainey, used to be McClellan until she married Paul Townsend, Lainey McClellan Townsend, and Paul and Lainey lived in Arizona for a time. They were doing God's work together. They volunteered a lot in churches. Uh, Paul was an extremely talented, multi-talented guy. He could sing, he could act, he could direct drama. He wound up being a school teacher teaching drama and theater. And Paul and Laney were on the road, this is over 25 years ago now, and a drunk driver crossed the center line and smashed into their car head on, threw them both into months of recovery. For Paul, actually years of recovery, because he had a closed head injury that allowed him 
not to even remember certain things. And so he just had to continue to rebuild his life all over again. Now, some people might think, well, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't God just sort of scoot that car out of the way? These were good people. These were the people serving Christ. And that's why Peter says, hey, don't be alarmed. Peter knows we live in a fallen world. And sometimes we have this false expectation that if we're serving God, God's just going to reach down and intervene and make everything okay. He says, no, this is a sin-wrecked world. And because of that, bad things happen, and sometimes they happen to the wrong people. And Paul and Laney just happened to be at the wrong place at the right time for that drunk driver. But through their ordeal and through their recovery process, they saw the hand of God at work in so many ways. Their church family rallied to help them. Paul got all of his memory back. He got a great job. He started working for a motel planning specific events. And then he eventually went back into school teaching and did a great job with those kids. But then, fast forward 25 years past the time when they'd made that great recovery, Paul had what would have been a simple surgery to remove his appendix. He went home. They're going to send him home to recover. And the next morning he woke up short of breath and he kind of looked a little panicked and started hyperventilating. So Laney called 911. They got him in the hospital, took him to the hospital, and Paul passed away a few hours later. They think that maybe there was an embolism that broke loose, blood clot, that happened post-surgery and then got to the wrong spot. So he had a heart attack and died. Now, again, we would think, but that's a terrible tragedy, and where was God in all this? Well, I'll tell you where God was. God was in the midst of walking with them through their grief because they had all kinds of praying, believing friends and family right there beside them, praying them through that whole ordeal. His memorial service was a testimony to the power of a God who resurrects all believers so that they can have eternal life. Laney and the five children that she was left to help raise continued to see God's hand at work. Did they go through dark times? Yes, absolutely. I mean, seriously dark times. You can imagine. It would have been so tough. And I'm sure some of those kids went through times when they would be awake at 2.30 in the morning thinking, God, why are we going through all this? How could you let my daddy go to heaven this early? I need a dad. All the things that they went through, and yet we continue to see God's hand at work in that family. If you look at all their Facebook posts and the things that they're sharing with other people, God is being uplifted. All the things that Peter was recommending to us, he has recommended to them, and they've been living by that. And so we understand that even though we're in dark times, God's glory can rest on those people when they get through a real trial or a real test of their faith. We gain perspective from knowing Jesus. Have you ever met anybody that you think, oh, they didn't deserve that? Well, you know somebody. His name is Jesus. He didn't deserve what he got. If anybody had lived such a life that they should have been spared from all the pain, it would have been Jesus. He was the perfect human. And yet he was tortured, treated extremely badly, and then gave his own life for our sakes. So we gain perspective by knowing him and saying, okay, if it can happen to him, I know it can happen to us. But look at all the good that came out of his specific uh, sacrificial love for everybody else. In fact, it was Jesus who said, we have this recorded for us in the book of John, in this world, you will have trouble. He knew that. He absolutely knew that to be true. And he was saying that to his disciples because he was helping prepare them for his own departure because it was just a very short time after that when he was arrested. He even said, the time is coming. This is not a 
This is not a feel-good verse that you want to grab and put on your coffee mug every morning. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. You know what this says to me? It shows me that Christianity is not selling something to the world. We're not making any fake promises out there just to try to recruit folks. Jesus wasn't trying to recruit folks with some fake promise. He was telling them the way it really was going to be. He said, there are going to come a time when people are going to think they're doing God a favor if they'll harm you or kill you. But he also said this. He makes two great promises. First of all, he promises the Holy Spirit, also known as the Comforter who's going to reveal truth to them. So he promises that. He says, okay, yeah, you're going to go through some great grief. He knew that. One of the reasons we know that God can connect with us emotionally is because Jesus experienced every emotion known to man because he was a man. That's one of the reasons the incarnation is so important to us. He knows what you're feeling when you're in a dark time. He was there. He's the one who said in the garden, God, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. He knows what you're feeling, even when you're in a dark time. But he said, I'm going to send the comforter, the one who's going to reveal truth to you. And because of that, he says, your grief is going to turn into joy eventually, which gives you perspective because you know that that dark time that you're in is temporary. It's absolutely temporary. It's so good for us as believers to remind ourselves of that, to know whatever pain I'm experiencing right now, it's temporary. I'm not going to have to go through this forever. There's going to come a time when His glory is going to be truly revealed. All that pain is going to go away. And it's going to be beautiful. And very often on earth, fortunately, He gives us glimpses of that because He often gives us joy after a series of painful experiences so that we can still get those glimpses of heaven even while we're on earth. And then He says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. But you see the gap there? I've left out a couple of words in John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that... In me, you may have peace. He's told us these things honestly and forthrightly, not to sell us a bill of goods, but to say, yes, you're going to have dark times, but you can trust me through those dark times because in me, if you continue to cling to me, if you continue to look to me, go to me for everything, I'll give you that kind of peace that surpasses all understanding, the kind of peace that the world can't quite comprehend. Uh, I'm going to quote from an unlikely source. It's not really a theological source. It's that movie, The Princess Bride, where somebody says, life is pain, princess. And then anyone who tells you otherwise is selling something. And some people might think that Christianity is trying to sell something. We're not. We're trying to be as honest and upfront with people as we can be, just as Jesus was with his disciples. But he says, it's still worth following me. Even though life is filled with pain because of the fall, because there's sin rampant in the world today, it's still worth it. And that's not selling a bill of goods, that's just telling the truth. And that's what the comforter does when he tells us the truth because he reminds us of that which is going to bring us eternal balance. In this world, you will have trouble, he says. But take heart, he says, and he ends with this good note, I have overcome the world. That's why we can trust him to get us through the dark times and come out into the light on the other side. So even in darkness, we can rejoice. I've seen people in worship services through my whole life, and I know something deep is going on in their lives because some Sundays they're just singing along and it's great because you can tell, hey, they mean what they're singing, but there are other Sundays that you think, ooh, something deep is happening in their life. You know it. You can see it on their faces. Sometimes they're crying through the songs. 
And then you find out the story later and you discover, wow, they have been through something. And yet as they're singing, it's as though the Holy Spirit is just pouring his light right into their heart. As they're enveloped by the sound of all the other people around us. And I was so glad that you took that one a cappella verse so that we could hear just the voices expressing praise. Ooh, didn't you just feel something? Because you're not alone. We're not alone as we go through the dark times. And that's why it's so important for us to gather and do exactly what we're doing today. I remember going to Phoenix, Arizona, knowing that my father was not long for this earth because he was going to be in heaven soon. And I showed up. I flew out there to try to look after my mom. And I showed up in a Sunday night service at the church where Joy and I had served in the nursery before we had kids. That's why we waited seven and a half years. And, and I, uh, it was training time for us. But I uh, was standing there singing, and it was like God had sort of tapped into what I was going through at the time and must have tapped the music director of that church on the shoulder. And just like you picked all the right songs today, that's what that guy had done because every song was like God was just pouring himself right into what I needed that night. And I was way in the back, and I was just blubbering through that service because I was just feeling so, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in a way that I had not felt in years. It was like God was saying, I've got this. I'm going to pour myself all over you. You can make it through this dark time. And yes, you're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death, but you need to fear no evil because I've got you. Isn't that good to know? But rejoice, Peter says, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I've highlighted the word glory because I mentioned last week about the weight of glory that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. There's another aspect of that that I want to bring out today. I said that if you were to put it on a balanced scales, that the weight of his glory would outbalance any bad thing we can experience on earth. That's one way that some writers have looked at that. But I like this other that makes even more sense to me. The weight of God's glory is something that's not an oppressive weight. You know, normally if we say, oh, I prayed about it and I felt this weight lift off my shoulders. Well, his glory is not that kind of weight. This is a, a balancing stability kind of weight, the kind that you would have if you're on the moon and you need gravity boots. And you know what it feels like when I was so disoriented and I didn't know which way was up because it was so dark. Maybe some of you have experienced that wonderful uh, sensation when you, you can't find out which end is up, I've heard some of you have said that you've gone through this. What do they call that? Uh, vertigo. And you, the room spins and you can't even see which way to put your foot because there's just no way to orient yourself. That's how we feel emotionally when we're in a dark time. And the weight of God's glory is like having gravity boots. He says, I'm going to weigh you down and attach you firmly to the rock of your salvation, the bedrock of Jesus Christ himself. And then you can feel firmness again. You can feel like, I know where I am. I know where I'm going. I know who I'm putting my trust in. That's what this weight of glory does for us. And when we sing, like we've done just a few minutes ago, you can experience just a little tiny glimpse of that weight of glory. And as we get grounded like that, all the other things that would be the world's kind of weights, they do lift off of our shoulders. Because his weight replaces that weight. It's going to feel so good when it quits hurting. There's a famous guy that said that. You know who said that? My dad. <laughs> he had surgery on his back when I was in high school. And they had to move a hospital bed into our living room so that he could get... They, they had some weird treatments back then. I mean, it was like putting him on the rack. Because he had a couple of ruptured discs. 
And he was in severe pain. Oh, my goodness. Some of you have struggled with back pain, and I feel so badly when I see you coming in because I can tell you're hurting. But they put him with these weights, and they would put something on his head and on his feet, and then they would just stretch him, hoping that that would pull his little vertebrae apart. But all it was doing was just torture. It was like a torture chamber. And he was trying so hard to be all strong through that, but he told me one day, he said, you know, son, it's going to feel so good when this quits hurting. And that was kind of his attitude toward life. I remember being on a roof at the church where we were putting on a new roof one time, and he hit his thumb. And he went, whoo, wee, it's going to feel so good when that quits hurting. <laughs> and I thought, that's not a bad life's lesson. Because any of us who are going through a difficult stretch of life, we can get complete and wonderful pain-free relief from that eventually. And Peter knows that sometimes it's going to be eventual. It's, it's eventual. It's not going to happen immediately. But we can get that perspective. Number three, if our darkness comes because of insults, we are still blessed. In fact, you're really blessed. He says, if you're insulted because you're bearing the name of Jesus Christ, because you're following Jesus Christ, then God's glory rests upon you which means that people get to see how you react to that, and they're drawn to Jesus. Strangely enough, it's a peculiar thing, and yet I've watched it happen time and again. If you're insulted, he says, verse 14, because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. It becomes a witness to other people as people watch how you respond to those insults. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, okay? I don't know anybody here. Don't raise your hand if you... But I don't know anybody here who fits that bill. So as I'm reading through this, you know, I'm thinking, okay, all right. I, yeah, I don't suffer because of that. Or a thief, maybe I stole a cookie out of the cookie jar one time, but okay. Or any other kind of criminal, okay, I still am feeling pretty good about myself. But then he has to go and add. Yeah, right. Or even as a meddler, I think, okay, he doesn't let any of us off the hook. Good old Peter, he's going to make sure he's broadening that definition to include everybody to say, you shouldn't cause your own suffering. This is the bottom line from this passage. You should not cause your own suffering. And there are people who would want to try to blame God and say, well, you know, the righteous will suffer. Well, there's not much righteous about what you just did. You just caused your own suffering because you're being a jerk. And Peter's saying, we shouldn't cause our own suffering by being a jerk. We should try to be Christ-like, and if we're being mistreated, it should be for the right reasons. He says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And we in America don't go through nearly what I see popping up in uh, magazine articles about some of the Christians in other parts of the world. And there are people who literally have given their lives because they're willing to bear the name of Christ, and they refuse to recant their faith. Even in the face of suffering and death, and that's what Peter is telling these folks, because they may be suffering that way someday from people that says, recant from your faith or I'm going to kill you right now. And I would pray that no matter what kind of suffering comes to us, it would come because we're willing to bear the name of Christ unashamedly and to say, I can't give him up. He gave his whole life for me. I owe him my life. I owe him everything. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household, he says. It was as though he could picture these people who are being oppressed out in other areas because they've had to flee from Jerusalem and other areas where they used to, to live. 
And they're thinking, well, God should smite those people out there, those sinners on the outside of the church. And Peter says, no, it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. House cleaning begins in your own home. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Then he gives this quote, and I want to unpack that for you a little bit. I found something that clicked with me this week as I was looking it up. If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, that's a quote from Proverbs 11.31. But it sounds a little strange to me. It sounded a little odd. It was almost sounding like, okay, it may be hard for the righteous, for some of us who think of ourselves as righteous to be saved, but man, it's going to be really hard for the ungodly and the sinner. There's actually more to it than that. I was looking up, what is the original text or source that he probably would have been drawing from in that quote? It was word for word from this Masoretic text. If the righteous will be punished on earth... How much more the wicked and the sinner? And the quote would have sounded so familiar to those folks that they would have been thinking about some of Jesus' teaching, which started to make sense to me, from the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when he was talking about the eye of the needle? And he was saying it's hard for these people who think of themselves as righteous, for the rich people, the people who are really high up muckety-mucks, it's hard for them to be saved. It's almost impossible. It's almost as, as impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You remember that? This is that kind of teaching and that kind of concept that these folks would have been thinking about because of Simon Peter's quote from Proverbs. And then you remember what the people's response was to this. Well, then, if it's that hard, who then shall be saved? That's exactly what Jesus was hoping they would say. That was why he gave that wonderful analogy about the camel through the eye of the needle. Who then shall be saved? He goes, well, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. It's only because of God that anybody can be saved. That's the bottom line of what Peter was talking about when he gave that quote from Proverbs back here in this stretch of his letter. When God's judgment falls upon his own, when the house cleaning starts in our own home, and we as believers see truth, then we begin to see a sliver of light. There's something unusual about truth being the only way forward. I've noticed this, uh, I've shared it a lot. It's a lot easier for me as a mediator of other people's problems to share this than it is in my own life because of the whole beam and the speck. You know what that's like. But I've noticed that if there is confrontation necessary, the hardest part of any confrontation is confrontation of yourself and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to say, this is how I contributed to the problem. And if we can open ourselves up to truth about ourselves, it's amazing how we can start moving forward with unresolved conflict in our life. It's so key for all of us. He says in verse 19, kind of wrapping up this portion of his letter, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. He says just resolve to do the good thing. Even though you're suffering, even though you feel like you're in a dark spot, you keep doing the right thing. I had a good friend named Mike. The second time of my three times that I've been to Scotland, I was with Mike. He and I had gone there. I was working on a book that never has seen the light of day. God taught me in that time that I am not a fiction writer. I'm a nonfiction writer. And it was a good book. Uh, The the half of it that I got written was really a great book. My mom thought it was excellent. But my friend Mike and I went over there because some of the people I had met the first sabbatical that that our family was there in 2000, 
they housed us, and so we could ask a bunch of questions and get lots of great background for this wonderful fiction that I was going to write. But it turned out that the reason we were there was because Mike was working through some difficult, dark stuff. And he needed that week. And I think it was just kind of God's intensive care unit to place us in a place where we could talk about these issues and be completely away from anybody that knew either of us. And as we were in a, a wonderful little town as Pitlockery, beautiful little quaint place uh, right in the center of the country of Scotland, and you can sit in a restaurant and look out over this place that's been there for hundreds of years, and it hasn't changed at all. And I was just kind of welling up with all this wonder and, and sort of a romantic notion of, oh, I've I got to pinch myself. I can't believe I'm actually here. This is so great. You know, some people get to actually be born in the UK. We have no idea what that might be like. And I thought, these people are so blessed. This is so great. And I looked over at Mike, and he just had this dark look on his face. And I mentioned, I said, are, are you not feeling well? And he goes, well, I'm feeling okay physically, but I'm just, I'm not in a good place. So I asked him, what's going on? He goes, I can't figure it out. I don't know. And so I started probing. He started talking again a little bit more about what was happening. Turns out there was some unresolved conflict between him and some very important people that meant a lot to him. And he needed to figure out a way to resolve that conflict. And what happened is that all the things that Simon Peter has been telling us in this study through his letter in First and Second Peter was weighing heavy on Mike's heart. Mike finally decided to start taking all these things to heart and do something about that. So he was praying, God, show me about myself what I need to change first. Help me to go and express love to these people and to talk things through, but I want to own what I have done to contribute to this riff that's been between us. And after that, and after several really good sessions with my wife, who's a good listener and is good about reflecting truth, he went and took care of some of that, and it's amazing to see what God did. He, start, he started to see the light. First, it was like seeing just enough to see a little crack through the bottom of a door so you could make your way down the hall without bumping into a bookcase. But then the light started to get brighter and brighter, and he started praying for some things, and he admitted to God that he was lonely and he was searching for a mate, but he didn't want the wrong mate. He wanted one that God would bring to him. And a few months later, God did just that. And Melissa came into Mike's life. And they are a beautiful family and have been for years now. Folks, I say this to say that every single one of us, as faith-filled as we may be at times, are going to go through dark times. Count on it. That doesn't mean that you have a lack of faith. It doesn't mean that God is frowning upon you, that you haven't earned His favor. It means that you're in a place where you can find out more about God's grace than in any other place of your life. When I look back at the times when I've really gotten to know God's grace, it's in those dark times. He wants to pour out His grace to you. When we get into the dark periods of our lives, it's so we can find out whether we followed God in order to get Him to serve us or if it's truly about us serving Him. Because a lot of times, our prayers sound pretty selfish. God, take away this pain. God, remove this obstacle. God, patch this thing up at work. God, bring me more money. God, make my car work better. God, 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 do this, do that, do that. It's all about Him serving us. And sometimes in the dark places, we've got nothing else to cling to except Him. And we have to say, God, I got nothing <laughs> except you. And you're enough. That's where He wants us. Little homework, I won't camp out on this, but this became 
known to me this week in my study, and I think, ooh, there's something big about why God allowed this, in fact, inspired it to be in his word. Psalm 88. I won't read any of it right now. I'll let you do that at home. But the psalmist is in a dark spot. In fact, he uses the word darkness three different times in this psalm. It's not like a lot of those other psalms, especially the psalms of David, when he says, I'm in a terrible place right now, God. Why haven't you shown up? But by the end of the psalm, he's kind of worked himself back up into feeling stable again. And he's going, but I know you're still up there. I know you're on your throne and all's right with the world. And so I'm going to trust you. This psalm's not like that. In fact, in the Hebrew, because of the syntax, the very last word of the psalm is darkness. He says, darkness is my only true friend. You know what he says to God by saying that? He's saying, I'd rather have darkness as my friend than you because you're a terrible friend because you haven't done anything for me. And yet we don't see God smiting the psalmist. Why would God allow that in there? Because God would rather have us communicate with him even if what we're communicating sounds pretty bad because he's big enough to take it. The fact that Psalm 88 is in the word at all is evidence of God's grace. He wants you to pour yourself out to him no matter how you're feeling. Parents, this is a great thing for you to figure out too. I've told you my own story about one of our kids when a counselor told me that I needed to allow them to express their pain to me, even if they were angry at me, but without punishing them in return because they just need to express what they're actually feeling and thinking. And when my oldest said, I'm mad at you, Dad, because you took us away from Arizona and you moved us to a foreign place and you left my kitty over there and you left my grandparents over there and all my friends from school, you did that and I'm mad at you. So rather than being upset at her for that, I had to say, well, I'm sorry. I feel really bad because I did cause all of that and I'm terribly sorry about that. And we had a good cry together and I just held her and she cried. And that was a huge step in the right direction toward resolving an unresolved conflict that was creating a lot of trouble in that little girl. And I think that God does that for all of us as his kids. He allows us to talk to him even about the tough stuff. And he says, and I still love you. There's nothing you can do that would cause me to love you any less. And I want to just hug you up tight. And I know this is a dark time but I'm going to show you that the glory is coming and you're going to see the light of day. I promise that. And I send my Holy Spirit to show that to you and to be your comforter. Isn't that good to know? Let's pray together. Father, my heart goes out to anybody who's in a dark spot because it can feel hopeless. And it can feel like it goes on forever. And you, and you think, is this ever going to end? So I'm grateful for this passage. I'm grateful for Simon Peter. I'm grateful for all the things that he said so honestly because we're not trying to sell something. We're just trying to be real and truthful about who you are and what you want for your children. And I pray that people would turn to you as your children and would sense your love and your healing emotionally and spiritually in their lives and that they would know without a doubt that you loved them. You loved them so much that even while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. Thank you for that love, Father. I pray that we will learn to suffer well and wisely 
as we walk through our dark times, as we walk through the trials, the tests of our faith, wearing that mantle of the glory of God, that others may see Christ and be drawn to his presence. And I pray in Jesus' name.